thanks so much. It is uh, a privilege to be here at TMAI Day and uh, to be connected as a partner with TMAI and helping churches uh, develop their missions ministry. This session is going to be very practical in terms of concepts for whole church missions involvement, and I hope that I stir a lot of questions and not a lot of mud in the water. Um, we want to get going on this right away, so we're going to skip over the introductory things. I do want to tell you about Propempo and partnership with TMAI. Propempo helps churches across North America become more effective in biblical local church-centered missions ministry, especially with a view toward becoming sending churches. We want to see really well-qualified biblical missionaries going to plant churches across the world in strategic areas. That's the greatest need of our world today is the gospel of Jesus Christ and local assemblies worshiping him biblically. Uh, in our concepts, we're going to talk about six things that should be on your little handout notes. I just want to point out at the bottom of your handout notes is a little segment down there that gives you an opportunity to give some feedback, ask questions, give evaluation of this session. So if you don't have one of those pages, try to find one for workshop three. And also I put my email address and mobile, home, mobile phone number on there. I know that's dangerous. I trust you're not going to spread it all over the internet by yourself. But if you like to ask questions or follow up with something, I'd be glad to answer it as I may be available. So please feel free. We're going to talk about Acts 1-8 briefly. We're going to talk about awakening to missions responsibilities and the sending church roles and activities. We're going to talk about action at the grassroots. That's a typo. It should be at the grassroots. And ownership and partnership with the sending agency and raising up new missionaries. This whole package of this workshop is a synthesis of other training that we do, that we've done for churches um, in seminars. Usually it takes a whole long weekend to do this thing, but to walk churches through how to become more focused and effective, and in particular to guide them in becoming a sending church of their own people into uh, the world of missions. A number of years ago, I had a pastor in Sherman, Texas, call me and tell me that he had uh, three graduate degrees from seminary. He was working on his Ph.D., and yet not one single class had taught him how to lead his church in missions. And he literally cried on the phone with me saying, I want to know how to glorify God in this area of our church. It is a, it is a need in our churches to give attention to what we do, how we do it, why we do it, biblically. Acts 1.8, I submit to you, is simultaneous, not sequential. We're familiar with this passage. Jesus, in answer to his apostles' question, said, Don't worry about when I'm coming. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This statement is sequential not or simultaneous not sequential so many churches that i visit say well when we have a better handle on our jerusalem then we'll get involved in world missions that's not what the verse says their interpretation is an excuse for not being involved 
It's Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. It's not like these guys standing in front of their huge developed church and saying, there, now we can start on the mission field. If you think Acts 1-8 is sequential, your church will never get directly involved in world missions. This is particularly challenging to churches that exist in a challenging metro urban, multi-ethnic environment. It's just really easy to think that the needs around us are so critical. How can we lift our eyes to see the fields that are white into harvest in other places when we have crime and physical need and just the crush of humanity around us? I realize that. But if you only do the Jerusalem stuff, it will consume everything. It's a black hole. As Jesus said, the poor you have with you always. I'm not saying neglect the poor. Don't misread me or misinterpret me. But in order to obey Acts 1.8 or implement the intent of Acts 1.8 as we ought to in our church, we've got to think about all of the segments simultaneously and how do we do that. I introduced this graphic in the last workshop, so some of you who were here have seen this before. Um, the near cultural people are able to be reached with fewer people and fewer resources, I mean more people and fewer resources, because they're near. The people that are farther away culturally, it takes a lot more preparation, a lot more funds, and far fewer people qualify to do that. So it's not just a balance of, you know, local versus foreign. It's finding out how do we do that financially, practically. What is awakening to mission responsibilities? Uh, seeing missions in scripture. Um, I love the backstory to John Piper and let the nations be glad. So John Piper came to Bethlehem Baptist Church and it was already a long-established church, and they had an annual missions conference that ran eight days, Sunday to Sunday. One year, his missions pastor came into John's office and said, John, we desperately need your help. The speaker we have selected for missions conference at the last minute can't come because of some personal or medical or something thing issue. He could not come. We need you to preach the whole thing. John Piper said, no, I can't do this. My family always takes vacation during missions conference. <coughs> a little symptom of a problem. We already have, you know, booked. We'll, we'll lose our reservation. The mission pastor prevailed. John Piper said to his assistant, close the doors, cancel all my appointments. I've got to study for eight messages coming up. That became Let the Nations Be Glad. Totally changed John Piper's life and outlook on missions. In fact, they went back and totally changed the purpose statement of the church. And they ran that purpose statement through every ministry of the church so that it reflected a proper understanding of the glory of God to all the nations 
as he expounds in Lest the Nations Be Glad, which is now in its like third or fourth edition, I don't know. But that's the backstory of Let the Nations Be Glad. Too often our pastors don't see missions in Scripture until they're forced to study it on their own. The local church's role and responsibility in missions and the need for local church involvement. Um, illustration is this article that was first published in nine marks, and then I caught it in something else, about your bad ecclesiology is hurting us. So this guy's on the field in, we'll say, the Far East, and he's having a collective meeting with other leaders of ministry in the Far East for a significant denominational mission agency. And every time they get together, they talk about what is the church. Now, the guy who wrote the article knew what the church was. He came from Mark Dever's church. But he said, we quibble about the definition of the church and what it really means because so many people have had such bad ecclesiology in their home church, they've never seen what a good church really looks like. How can we send missionaries overseas who have never seen and experienced what a good church is like? The folks who we send should not only experience it in terms of a plethora of ministries that they have some experience in, but be elder qualified to know what the inside of an elders meeting looks like. If you're sending them to plant a church, don't you think they should be elder qualified? It's like asking an intern to do the whole complex operation before they've ever seen it done. So ecclesiology matters a lot. Missionary attrition should be a wake-up call to churches. I mentioned this in the last workshop, and it's true. We think of um, the United States uh, leadership at Omaha Beach in June 6, 1944, in the Normandy invasion, as being one of the most costly, um, costly battles that was ever fought in that long, long 24-hour day. I think there were some... 4,500 casualties out of 37,000 that went ashore. Let me tell you, missionary attrition is a higher casualty rate than that. Typically, and you'll see it, if you get, it, get to here to their book and get a couple copies for your leadership or those that you know might be interested in missions, your missions team, get them while they're here and they're cheap um, in the conference. Only 15% of the people who say that they feel called to missions ever make it to the field. And only 50% of those, and that's being a little bit generous, make it longer term than five years. That's costly attrition. That should be a wake-up call to the sending church. That's us, guys. That we need to do a better job of preparing our missionaries for that battle before they get on the front. We wake up and see a shotgun pattern on the world map. We see the world map in our foyer or on our hallway wall of all our mission stuff and, I don't know, <coughs> you know, dusty strings of yarn going to each of the missionary pictures, all of that. You know, how are these related? And look at the points on the map. It looks like a shotgun hit it. It doesn't look like a rifle at all. It doesn't look like there's any rhyme or reason to how all these things come together. And who is the Smiths in whatever it's done is. <laughs> you know, we, we just don't even know our missionaries that well. 
And then we run into this, Dave Duran mentioned this in the first hour, somebody saying, I'm called, and that, therefore, you capitulate everything and open up the treasury of the church and say, okay, great. Baloney. You know? If, if someone came to you and said, I feel called the preacher, would you give him the keys to the church and the pulpit the next Sunday? No. Emphatically, no. Why would you ever do that with a missionary or someone who says they're called to be a missionary? I love the, the concept that the individual can express their willingness to go, but only their local church can verify their fittedness to go. The missionary call is verified by their local sending church. Just because someone says it's true doesn't mean it is. So in another practical one, I, when I talk to young people, I tell the gals, if a guy ever tells you it's God's will that you get married, first thing you should tell them is God hasn't told me that. <laughs> You're going to have to prove it over a long period of time and a lot of expense. Another wake-up call is biblically suspect theological trends on the field. We dare not send people to the field that do not have good biblical theological grounding. They will get overwhelmed in the tidal wave of missiological fads and trends that are unbiblical. I get this from calls. Short-term missions is taking over the church. <laughs> At a couple churches, in fact, one just like two days ago. You know, we got so many people going on short-term missions. How do we handle this? Just say no. Is there a place for short-term missions? Yes, I absolutely believe there is a good, valid place for short-term missions. But it needs to be done in concert with the values and the direction of the local church and preferably with people that the local church has relationships with and trusts not just because their campus ministry said they need to get 2,000 people on the ground in such and such a place. And in no case is the church absolutely obligated to fund it directly through church funds. But uh, that's another seminar. How can church leaders help cause an awakening? Well, God uses our prayers and efforts as means to awaken the congregation to their roles and responsibilities. Get the pastor engaged with missions leadership. I appreciate that our pastor from day one has volunteered and chosen to be part of our missions team. Now, here's the weird thing. I'm the leader of our missions team, which means for a short period of time, he's under me. But no, we work in concert together, and it's awesome to see him model and own uh, and continue to grow and learn in missions leadership in our church. Someone asked me, I think it was over lunch, about the pastor going on a short, on a, on a field visit. And there's a whole thing on our propempo.com website on what makes a good field visit and what kind of questions to ask. But my standard answer is, please send your senior pastor, your teaching pastor, on a field visit overseas with a one-way ticket. 
there's, there's more. <laughs> Have him go as an observer and a shepherd, not in the limelight. So he doesn't go on a preaching trip. He doesn't go to lead Bible studies. He doesn't go to be shown all the tourism sites. He goes to shadow the missionary and ask a lot of questions about his relationships, his ministry, his marriage, his family, his daily disciplines, all of that stuff to observe and see what's going on. Yes, to eat and taste and smell and see the sights of his missionary's ministry and maybe a couple tourism places. But in, in the amount of time, not to go as the celebrity pastor visiting and shown around and catered to and given the platform. Uh, the pa the object objection that the pastor gives is, well, I have to exercise my gift. <laughs> no, you don't. Do you exercise your gifts on family vacation? Maybe, maybe not, probably not. Um, you don't have to exercise your gift. Your role there is not to exercise your gift. Your role there is to shepherd and increase the capacity of your missionary to exercise their gift for a long term on the field. That's what you want to see happen, and you have to have a relationship that you can ask a lot of hard questions to get to that. So get the pastor involved. Don't allow candidates to go without being sent Resource and assist the pastor and church leaders own their responsibility. The buck stops with the elders of the church. If the church's missions practices are not up to snuff or not what they ought to be, it's the elders that are responsible ultimately. They will answer to God for the souls of their people. Get the pastor and church leaders to own their responsibility. Feed them the right kind of material. Get them articles from propeble.com. Get them good missions books to read. Recruit and encourage missionary candidates. Ask your young people and people maybe in transition in their career. Do you think that missions could be on your list of possibilities? How can we pray about that? Do you see people in your youth group that are naturally inclined to have relationships with ethnic peoples different than themselves? Do you see people have a heart for outreach, people that are naturally being used by God in evangelism and discipleship? Tap them on the shoulder and ask if they would not consider following a path that could take them into long-term career missionary service. Pastor's trip, I said that, not a limelight trip, send students to the cross conference. Now, I don't know if I'm stepping on something I shouldn't hear, but the cross conference is focused differently than that other really big student missions conference. <laughs> They're focused on sound theology, unreached people groups, and the role, the central role of the local church. So you can find them at crossforthenations.org. The next one's coming January 2 to 5, 2019. It's sort of the end of uh, Christmas, New Year's break. Let's see if we can do this. Nope. Hang on. We're going to have a technology issue.
help your church understand the difference between lostness or unreached versus access to the gospel. So um, here's a clip, if we can get it to work right. Let's see. Nope. It always wants to do this. There we go. Second time's a charm. anywhere in there? Oh, oh, that's it. Not the arrow. You getting some? Okay, I'm going to give up. It's all right. If in doubt, punt. I'll tell you what he said. I, I think I said it in the last workshop. Um, students particularly say, why should I go to unreached people groups in the far-flung places of the world when my neighbor's unreached, my co-worker's unreached, my fellow student's unreached? And David Platt says, they're not unreached because they know you. And that's true. It's, it's a matter of access to the gospel. How many places have access to the gospel? In the United States, we are absolutely overwhelmed with access to the gospel. And I realize there are a lot of um, suspect sources for what might be called a gospel, but there are still plenty of good ones through local church ministry scattered across the nation, radio, not Trinity Broadcasting, but other television shows, um, uh, websites. And there are just lots of access to the gospel. What would happen if a mission-sending agency took the position that they would not accept a candidate unless their sending church takes responsibility to be or become a good sending church? I've posed this to mission agencies. They cannot imagine the drop in recruits they would have. But I tell them they cannot imagine the longevity of good recruits they would keep over time, if that were true. But the initiative begins with the church. So here's, you know, extra credit, freebie. If our churches represented in this room did that, we will not send a candidate to be to go to candidate school at a mission agency unless our church says they are fully qualified as a biblically elder-qualified, cross-culturally vetted, trained for cross-cultural service person from our church, sent from our church, if we went to that extent, it could change the whole climate of what missions looks like from the United States. Get Let the Nations Be Glad, A Vision for Missions by Tom Wells, missionary biographies, read missionary biographies to your kids, Get your families reading missionary biographies. Um, Ruth Tucker has a great anthology called From Jerusalem to Arian Jaya. Um, and we've read that to our kids. It's great. It's like Reader's Digest version of missionary biographies. 
personal contact with the missions field, almost every missionary on the field would tell you it was an important component of God's calling on their life for them to meet and experience missionaries in a regular contact, like having lunch or dinner in their home or meeting them and playing ball with them or doing something with them. Of course, sound teaching. Um, go to our website, propemple.com. There's lots of resources there, downloadable uh, documents and examples from other churches and some video clips. Um, there's a, a thing, a process called dynamic snapshot that can give you a good idea of your church. If you go to the church missions profile online and fill that out, it's going to give you a cross, cult, a cross section of your church's, um, we'll say, effectiveness based on the benchmarks of the best churches in the U.S. on 12 different areas. So what are these sending roles? I need to uh, point you to the scriptures, and we're going to go real quickly through the use of the term propempo. It's very near and dear to my heart. See, it's right here, my heart. Okay. <coughs> we're going to do a little historical New Testament theology right now. Acts 15.3. Paul and Barnabas sent to the Jerusalem council, being sent on their way by the church. They passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, so forth. I'm going to blast through this. Acts 20, 38. This PowerPoint, by the way, should be available on the TMAL website in a couple of weeks. So you get video, audio, and the PowerPoint available to you, complete, the whole shebang. I think they don't have the videos, but didn't work so well here anyway. <coughs> Acts 20, 38. This great passage in Acts 20 being sorrowful most of all because the word he'd spoken, they would not see his face again. They accompanied him to the ship. So this term, propempo, means to send forward, and in our organization we would say send forward fully equipped, but it has this idea of accompanying, of supplying resources, of going, being a part of going, being partnering with them, even if you're not physically going along with. Acts 21, when our days are ended, we depart on our journey, and the wives and children, they all accompanied us. That's the accompanying thing. They knelt kneeling down on the beach, we prayed. Romans 15, 24, a very critical passage through all of Romans 15 in going to places that have not gone to before. He says, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and be helped on my journey there by you. Back in the 70s when I was preaching this, I said that word is sort of like convoyed. That means you go along with and assist as you go. 1 Corinthians 16, 6, um, to be helped on my journey, that's the word propempo. 1 Corinthians 16, 11, help him on his way in peace that he may return to me. 2 Corinthians 1, 16, um, I wanted to visit you and come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. It, you can almost picture Paul shaking hands with people and they're sticking in his pocket the ship fare to go to Jerusalem, and a sack lunch for the trip, all of that kind of stuff. Titus 3.13, one of the few places in Scripture that commends lawyers. Um, <laughs> do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way so they lack nothing. Um, Third John 5-8, through eight, again, this is a, a whole pa passage segment you need to catch. Because when I, when I say historical theology, I mean it. 
in the development of this term historically through the first century over these years from around, say, 40 to 95-ish A.D., it became more and more used technically for sending workers for the gospel. We would say that's sending missionaries and supplying everything they need to get the job done. And we see that full-blown here in 3 John as John is writing church leader Gaius, fill your name in the blank there, and says, Beloved, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. What lacks there? For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles, which was countercultural in itself in its day, for teachers to not accept payment from their students. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. This whole local church-oriented thing of the church sending out known workers, supplying everything that they need, making sure that they have the need to get the job, whatever they need to get the job done, and partnering with them so that they share in the fruit. The missionary's fruit is the sending church fruit. Individuals in your church need to understand roles that they have to learn, to pray, to share their faith where they are in the Great Commission, to support missionaries, to go short term, to reach internationals where they are, and then to mobilize others, to be encouraging and helpful, perhaps mentoring, offering themselves to serve others who are training to go to the field in whatever expertise they may lend. As senders, I uh, rely on a book by Neil Parolo, Serving as Senders. It's in the list in your TMAI directory for the day. Um, it, Neil Parolo lists the thing, six things on the left, and I add the three things on the right. Uh, moral encouragement, logistics, financial, prayer, communication, reentry, and then in today's world, I add children's education, security and contingency, and technology. So these are ways that the church can get involved in assisting the missionaries in a lot of ways beyond send them to the mission board and let them do the job, right? We don't want to see that. In this little book, there is a partnership template in the appendix that says, here's how your local church can insist that the sending agency that you might use allow the church to have a larger role in your missionary's life throughout their life by having a partnership agreement before your people sign the commitment letter as a candidate appointee. You get that? So we have a team for the missionary family sent from our church to North Africa that looks to take care of these things. They're constantly asking questions, asking for deeper prayer requests to figure out how can we serve that family by doing these things for them. You don't think about it, but hey, it's tax season. Who files taxes for the missionary? they got to figure that out. Who takes care of their home accounts? Who's able to remit funds internationally? Who's able to do all of those things logistically and financially and in communication? If they're in a closed country, they can't send their own newsletters out themselves, depending on the environment. 
Children's education is huge, huge issue, particularly in, in um, some areas. Security and contingency, always a big deal. Okay, so action at the grassroots. Who are your grassroots? I submit Sunday school classes. Every Sunday school class ought to have an adopted missionary that they pray for, and you can rotate that around year to year. So they pray for somebody else in your missionary stable of people that you support. Small groups. Does your church do small groups? Small group Bible studies? Maybe affinity group Bible studies? They can adopt a missionary or at least know what the prayer requests are so that as a normal part of the routine of their meeting and worshiping and interacting together, they have missions on their mind. In our church, every small group has a designated mission advocate that brings up a prayer request for their designated missionary family in their small group every week. So all of our small groups pray for a missionary family. They get to know that family's anniversary date, the kids' birthdays, what they like and don't like, how many chocolate chips to send. Forever. Whatever. Um, by delegation and prayer and tangible action. So in our, in our church... We push it down to the grassroots. The, missionary, the missions team does not take care of hospitality for the missionary when they visit our town. The small groups who own that missionary take care of the missionary when they're in our town. They're expected to take care of everything. Housing, transportation, furniture if they need it, telephone, internet, all of the stuff that it takes to live here for an extended time. Small groups take care of that primarily. It's not that others don't help, but they're the ones, they're responsible, they're going to take care of it. They own them. Ownership and partnership, we talked about this. Um, it's th There's so many ways that the church can help in very practical ways by entering in and not just kind of giving a shrug and hope the mission agency takes care of it. By directly getting involved in visas through the candidate and application process, uh, helping them be accountable to go through their agency checklists and their pre-field requirements, um, approval of the initial landing place, where are they going to go, where are they going to study language, how much plan for soul care and communication. We had a young lady that went to, I'll just say, a very, very closed country, <laughs> and we were concerned about soul care. Uh, she, she landed in country to do her contract job um, with uh, a hard drive, that had over 1,200 sermons on it because she wasn't able to access Internet sermons in a very closed country. So she had 1,200 sermons. Kept her busy for a couple weeks. <laughs> Orientation of the congregation to proper expectations. Uh, we had a, a family with five kids go to the field, and the whole church got around them to help them liquidate their house and get it prepared to rent or whatever and, and take care of garage sale and consignment sales and boxing and packing and storing and all of that stuff. And that was just part of the expectations of our congregation. It wasn't hired out. It wasn't expected for the agency to do that. It was our church. Setting reasonable expectations regarding priorities and being on task. This is really important for the church leadership, but for the church to understand the first couple of years that this missionary family or couple is on the field, they're not going to be doing Bible studies and evangelism. 
particularly if they're in a closed country, they're not going to be doing any of that openly. They're going to be studying language and culture, and it's really hard. And they might be doing that for even beyond two years because they've get, got to get beyond marketplace language to heart language, intangible values language, biblical terms. They have to understand that. And uh, let me tell you, most foreign contexts don't pronounce things the way we do. Go figure. How can the local church own missionary deployment? By helping uh, them with their requirements. Your church should have your own list, particularly if they're coming from your church. If they're going to be a sent missionary from your church, what are your expectations with regard to their competency in ministry and to their biblical convictions with regard to their uh, cross-cultural exposure with even language learning techniques. How can you help them meet those requirements? Goodbye communication sent out to everybody, appropriate personal business stuff, banking, medical, power of attorney. I don't know how many people in the room have a will, but most mission agencies require that a missionary before they go to the field have to have on file a legal will. It's just part of it. In our organization, because of where we travel, every one of our ProPempo staff members have to have a legal power of attorney given to ProPempo in case of kidnapping, hostage-taking, violent crimes. And it's very detailed, but um, that's, that's what we have to do. Take care of those things. Needs to be a risk assessment, assessment i encourage churches to allow their sent missionary arrange for them to go on a short retreat before they go to the field um, at least days if not weeks before they go to the field because they get so overwhelmed with all the last minute stuff to do that they're frantic and they end up on the field physically spiritually emotionally a basket case who wants to receive that guy And then they have high expectations and high adrenaline, and they can get burnt out almost before they start. Give them a break before they go to the field to just sit and worship Jesus and rest a little bit and get their head together as they say goodbyes to family, friends, and church and get going. And then visa and plane tickets, send off parties, commissioning service, all that's ways that the church can get involved and own it. Select the agency with the best fit. I've had a couple questions about that. Um, not all agencies fit, and, and I would almost say no agency fits perfectly. So don't expect an agency um, to be the perfect fit for you. But we prefer that churches get informed about how to help their candidate not be subjected to psychological secular psychological testing and do a more extensive biblical counseling oriented process takes a big commitment on the church roughly a hundred hours of counseling meetings with the couple in order to work through life issues and get them to a place of victory if there's issues if there's problems but have them go through that and then the church literally delivers to the agency a short form summary of strengths and weaknesses of this candidate and what they can expect from them. 
and it's worked out pretty well so far. If you if you do that, um, ask permission before you have expectations, but it is possible. And in the partnership agreement, I think I mentioned there's one in the book as a sample. This is all part of this process of moving the whole church toward ownership of missions in such a way that we would see God graciously raise up people from our midst because they are soaked, their DNA is soaked in missions as a local church so that you will naturally see, we believe, God graciously raise up some people from your church who say, yes, yes, I feel God calling me or guiding me or leading me toward full-time, long-term commitment on the field. Um, <coughs> I've taken some of the cues from uh, the Trellis and the Vine book. Um, the missionary qualifications are parallel to that of elders plus some extra ones. Um, Trellis and the Vine say character, convention, and competence. So the primary qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 are character issues. But it's understood that they have to have conviction issues, that is, an understanding and framework of biblical and theological truth that they don't get confused when they get on the field. They have a, a measurement way of looking at trends and things in the culture to be able to identify what's good and what's not. But competence is skills building. You want them to be skilled in ministry. Don't ask someone to go plant a church if they've never participated in church at that level. And if possible, get them church planting experience at home before they go to the field. It's an eye-opener. Add to that chemistry. And in our elders, we add this on our elders. We don't have a candidate for, the, for becoming an elder who doesn't know how to get along with people and loves people and is able to work in a teamwork sort of frame of reference with elders. There's a lot of personal deference shown in elders' meetings. And you have to have a chemistry to do that. Calling is number one on this list for missionaries. I already said the local church verifies the calling. That's a whole other thing. And then cross-cultural capacity. It's amazing. Uh, but sometimes you find the story of a couple that went to the field and left after a short period of time because they didn't like the food. <laughs> Somebody blew a gasket there. <laughs> Nothing has more potential to ignite your church and sharpen your mission's vision more than getting skin in the game. You get people involved, your people own your people. And you get skin in the game, you will know how vitally involved your church can get in getting them out to the field. Email me if you have questions. You've got the evaluation stuff to email my phone number. So I'm planning on being overwhelmed with... <laughs> with contact, but I'm here for Shepherd's Conference. If you want to try to meet sometime during Shepherd's Conference, we can maybe get off to the side during a meal time or a snack time. I wouldn't say during a session time out loud, but maybe during a session time. Um, but <laughs> I'm, I'm here basically for the week, and if you have specific questions or interest in, in us coming to your church and helping you with some of these things, love to do that. I'm out of time. And we're not going to have questions because then we would blow it. And I have other people waiting on you for the rest of the conference. Thank you.